This episode of Nomad Athlete Radio is brought to you by MyFitnessPal, which provides powerful tools that make it easier for everyone to live a healthier life by tracking meals and physical activity. To get a one-month premium membership for free, go to nomeat.myfitnesspal.com with promo code NOMEAT. This episode is also brought to you by Manly Bands. Manly Bands helps men find wedding bands that fit their personality and their budget with unique and stylish designs. To get 21% off your Manly Band for a limited time and get a free silicone ring, go to manlybands.com slash nomeat. Hi, this is Hope. This is Kareem. Hi, this is Katie from Washington, D.C., and you're listening to Me Athlete Radio. Hey, Matt. How's it going? Going well. Waiting <laughs> waiting for our surprise guest. All right. I, I can't the anticipation. Moment. I know. I'm like nervous. Yeah. Am I going to like the person? What if I don't like the person? You know? I know. Or what if you're completely unprepared for the... To interview someone well that uh that is the case i think <laughs> we build that right into the format uh-huh. yeah <laughs> <laughs> so uh chloe had her first cake this past oh, yes. weekend yeah that's right big, Happy birthday. Big birthday that's good did she do the old not eat it just sort of smash it around sort of thing you know she did um a, like she picked up the icing and kind of like looked at it for a little while put it on her <laughs> tongue and then like did it again and then you know, it only took about, I don't know, a minute and a half at most, a minute maybe to uh, right. to have it all over her face and all over her. And, <laughs> and uh, you know, it was it was quite adorable. It was very cute. So she hadn't had any cake ever before that? No, she had had a, a piece of a cookie about two weeks ago. But mm-hmm. uh, that was kind of the first sweet treat that she had had. Yeah, it's weird how like our culture just trains kids to eat sweet food. Like we, like with my daughter, we just noticed in the early year or two she just really didn't want rich sweet things uh-huh. uh and birthday time we're like well you have to eat this one and then <laughs> yeah. and she didn't really like it and like was curious but like she still had it had enough to sort of be interested and then uh-huh. like some other event came up later and it's like do it again and, then, and now she just loves the sweet food like every other kid <laughs> yeah. it's like we just train out of them the natural uh-huh. you know not not needing those things yeah yeah that's that's kind of funny but no she uh you know she and generally is a pretty um adventurous eater and and a pretty good eater so all right well happy birthday chloe um many more wish you many more (laughs) indeed all right our guest is here i'm going to admit them all right uh, the moment of truth is gonna be here we go there she is. Hello. Let's see who it is, Doug. How are hey. you? Hey. How's it going, Pamela? Good to see hey, you. Hey, Pamela. How are you? Yeah, I'm Surprise. doing great. Yeah. <laughs> our, our guests always seem excited about the new surprise format, Doug. Yeah, I love it. Okay, good. Yeah, I, you know, I, I, I was really nervous all morning. I was like, who could it be? And I'm so glad it's you, Pamela. This is the perfect, uh, perfect guest for today. <laughs> yes. Yeah, well, I think we've only so far with the surprise guests done repeat guests because we're always afraid of having someone new and like where we don't really know them very well and then <laughs> having it just go awfully because it's just a new format and one of us is always <laughs> unprepared, which, you know, you have to be for this. I think uh, it's part of the charm, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. But anyway, Doug, you may not know the occasion for um, my inviting Pamela on again, which I think might be her third or fourth time on the show. Mm-hmm. Um is she has a new book that just came out this week that is called Going Vegan for Beginners, which I had the pleasure of writing uh, an endorsement for. And I just thought it was a really, really great, wonderful book, um, which is, and I really, I put this in my endorsement. It's for a lot more people than beginners. It's like such a good reference and very digestible, um, pun intended sort of, but content for for, uh, people who really know what they're doing. So it really, thank you for writing this, Pamela. And I'm excited to talk to you and talk about the book a little bit. Thank you so much. Yeah, I do agree. I think although the title is going vegan for beginners, I think, to be honest, I work with vegans all the time. And I think most vegans I work with would find something uh, that they would find useful in the book and even probably find a fair bit of information that was new to them um, in terms of nutrition. Um, I think it's a good sort of solid foundation primer on veganism. You know, yes. I think I, I think I found this with with Matt's book as well, and really every new book that I get that's kind of an, a, a guide to to going vegan. So many of us went 
vegan without a lot of instruction, you know, without these books, because there really weren't any. And uh, we just kind of winged it. And, and so now, even if we're, you know, eight years into it, um, or, or more, we're still, there's still so much that we could learn about, you know, how, you know, certain nutrients or, or how to structure our meals or whatever to, to really feel our best. And, and, uh, you know, I think that these books are very valuable, whether you're brand new or not. Absolutely. Like I learned some things in doing the research and writing it. So it's, it's definitely going to be something that everyone's going to pick something up, I think. Yes. Well, anyway, Doug, I have forwarded you a copy of the book. This is one of the pitfalls of this system. (laughs) You have to do that during the episode. But anyway, it's in your email. You can check it out now. Awesome. Um, Awesome. But yeah, so I marked a few things, Pamela, that I do want to get into um, specifically in the book, just that I think are really well done and interesting the way you presented them. But uh, less formally than that, I thought you were gonna have really short hair. Because <laughs> oh yeah! Sort of, I mean, how did your hair? Is that, you, a you lot has happened in the last eighteen months or so. Yeah, time has passed. Yeah, my hair—I grew it during lockdowns when there was like no haircuts. I guess. Yeah. So it grew. Not that. that my haircut was particularly complicated before, but I just like <laughs> wasn't going out at all. So right. I was like, I'll, I'll just grow my hair, and here it is. I guess it's a good time to do it. Yeah. There you go. go Matt, on. you need to. I, you know, I knew that because I follow you on 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 social, Pamela. I follow everything I know, that you I do. And you know, I actually knew about the book. I obviously haven't read about it, but uh, I've been excited. I've been following your uh, release of it and, and excited to see that. So. Oh, thanks, Doug. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is your, I know you've had, you have other like uh, eBooks on your site. Is this your first published publisher book? This is my first published book. Yes. Cool. Yeah. Uh, okay. And that was quite a process writing a book. I mean, you've written quite a few books. Um, so, you know, you have that experience. And for me, it was the first time working a pub- working with a publisher and publishing a book. And I mean, it was um, a lot of work. I haven't probably written that much since my PhD. So it was, uh, mm-hmm. it took a lot of time, but it was a lot of fun doing it too. I, I did enjoy it. And I think I will try to write another book in the future. I, mm-hmm. I definitely enjoyed the process. Cool. Yeah, it is. It is fun and hard and you learn a lot, but, uh, yes. but yeah, it, I mean, nothing like the first time you see it in print and see it in the in store. Name and just, and stuff. Yeah. It's nice. awesome. And I saw in the beginning you wrote, I think it was, you said it was for your mom who called every day to make sure you were writing. Every it. day. Right? Yes. <laughs> yeah. I had, in my first one, I had, um, I was, I was a little closer back then with this guy, Leo Babalta from Zen Habits. And he was like my accountability partner. And I had some arrangement with him where we had a shared Google document. And if I didn't go in each day and check off that I had written whatever it was, 500 words each day, right. I, I was going to PayPal him like 25 bucks or something. And I did it once or twice. I actually sent him money. Uh, because I just couldn't, couldn't do it those certain days. You know, it was the problem. I would fall asleep. I would put my kids to bed and I would fall asleep with them in bed accidentally yes. when I was reading yes. and I was meant to go and then write for an hour after that. That happened a lot in those days. Yeah. The early days of parenting are, a, you know, real, uh, challenging time. And I think parents need to be really gentle with themselves and like, that's exhausting. By the time the kids go to bed, uh, you know, I often fell asleep putting my kids to bed and then would wake up and sort of stumble to my own bed a couple hours later. I think right. I mean, it's like a universal experience, really. So <laughs> yeah, I understand. Um, and it is easier now, now that three or four of my children are teenagers. Um, definitely, they would like to have more of their to themselves <laughs> so yeah, right. i have more time to myself too <laughs> which is good so there are brighter days ahead in that way yeah <laughs> so Pamela, i got a question for you so you've been you've been plant-based for how long you know i get this question all the time and i don't know exactly uh-huh. um and so if i've if i say something now and it doesn't completely add up with what i've said before i'm gonna say i think eight years i really don't remember okay sorry so you know so eight years is a long time um yes. when you're writing a book now for beginners how do you put yourself in the like mindset of someone who is maybe just learning or discovering the diet for the very first time Yeah, well, I do work every day as a dietitian with clients. And so I hear those problems all the time. I do very frequently work with people who are just in the beginning stages of transitioning to veganism. And they say, hey, I want to make sure I'm doing this well. So they reach out to a dietitian, which I think is fantastic that they do that. And it's great that 
we have these resources available now. There's an increasing number of vegan dietitians that people can reach out to and book uh, at any stage of life, whether they're just going vegan or you know, just having kids and wanting to raise them vegan, getting pregnant, all of those different stages, you know, you can book an appointment with a dietitian. So I do hear those challenges and questions um, frequently. And also in my work on social media, people DM me or put comments um, on my posts with questions um, related to uh, veganism. And, you know, even like when I went vegan, I mean, my experience is like, I don't know if it's totally translatable because I was already a dietitian when I went vegan and I also had been a vegetarian for a long time and like I had a fair amount of nutrition knowledge, but I still had to do research. There were still things that were new for me for sure and just changing the way that we cooked and probably the biggest thing was getting my kids on board. Um, that was probably the, the biggest learning curve was um, transitioning my children's diet. Um, mm -hmm. So I remember, I remember what those challenges were like, uh, for sure. Um, but I'm still like freshly in it anew each week because I'm working with um, new vegans all the time. Yeah. Speaking of kids, we, we actually still use some of your recipes from the kids program you wrote for an amazing. <laughs> So, all right, you guys are using the word vegan a lot and not just saying plant-based. And the, uh, the title of the book is Going Vegan for Beginners. In the, also, I spent a lot of time on the, uh, the dedication, you can tell, because you also wrote there uh, that, of course, it was for the animals. So um, I guess, like, it, I don't know. This is such an interesting topic. We talk a lot on this podcast, oddly, as dumb as most of our conversations are. We talk a lot about um, how the vegan movement is progressing and where it's going and all these different things. But... For me, like for the longest time, like when I started No Meat Athlete, this was 12 years ago, uh, you couldn't put vegan in the title of any blog post. If you did that, it wouldn't, wouldn't be successful. Um, then this plant-based term came out and like got popular and like you could use that and, and that was cool for a while. And I feel like now it's becoming cool again to say vegan and people are actually interested in vegan. I know you didn't do this because it was cool, but I'm just curious like about that choice. Um, to, you know, not, not bury the fact that this is also an ethical kind of thing. Um, because like in my book, plant-based athlete, we, we were very careful not to go into that at all. We didn't, we barely touched the environmental stuff. And the thinking was, if we go into any of those things, then the, the conclusion from a lot of people is going to be that these authors have an agenda here. And all, therefore we can't trust all the science and things that they're also trying to highlight, um, you know, because they're probably just want me to go vegan for the animals. They want, they want to push this thing and they're going to try to convince me. So that's why, like, I never get into those topics, but you didn't steer away from that. So I'm just curious for you, like what, what that decision was about. Um, and I don't know. I mean, how much is this a, a health decision compared to one that is, that is for the animals or for the planet? Well, the book is, it's a, such a great question. There's so much in there. The book is definitely about how to go vegan um, in terms of it being a focus on people who are motivated by being ethically vegan. Uh, the book has a health, um, a slightly health skew, let's say, as in somebody who wants to go vegan for the animals, but does care about their health and want to do it in a healthy way. Um, so the book is kind of skewed that way. However, um, it's not, uh, written from the perspective of you want to go plant-based because you want to maximize the potential benefits of um, plants for your health and the animals are not a concern for you, uh, particularly, you know, that's not a particular motivation for you. That's not the way the book is written. It's uh, definitely written for vegans. And I would say, although the book is skewed towards a healthy perspective, there's definitely room in the way the book um, comes across. And this is my own personal philosophy as well, like on my Instagram content and in my own personal life as well. There's room for vegan comfort food. There's room for um, some treats, that kind of thing. So it's not, um, it's not something that's purist in terms of the health perspective. It definitely um, can incorporate um, some other foods that may be slightly less um, healthy, although the, it is coming across with the perspective that 
when you're deciding to be vegan, that means intentionally trying all the time to avoid animal products. Mistakes happen, but it's not like, oh, you can be vegan like 90% of the time. If you're being ethically vegan, then um, it's, it's an intention to always make that decision every time that you're eating or also um, buying you know, clothing or household cleaning products or cosmetics or any of those things or the entertainment you participate in, like avoiding zoos, all those kinds of things. It's, uh, it's intended to reach the person who has made a decision to become ethically vegan and wants to be sure that they're doing that in a way that will be still supportive of their health, that they won't be missing any key nutrients, and also that they may want to see some actual benefits of going plant-based and uh, in their diet, plant-based in their diet, and um, how to do that well. So that's, I think that's super interesting because just for me, you are one of the most knowledgeable, or I mean, maybe maybe better word is like practically knowledgeable. Like I just think that the advice you have about vegan nutrition is so practical and good. Um, so it's just interesting to, um, it's just interesting that, that you would, that you'd, you know, be sort of, I don't know if brave is the right word, but like that you'd, that you'd take a stance like that in a book um, and, and make it about being vegan, not just here's the healthiest, you know, food choices you can make. Uh, I just think it's really cool. Did you, did you put, is there, I didn't recall seeing a part that was about the lifestyle choices. Is that in the book too? Yeah, definitely. The, I think the first like chapter is kind of sets up definitions of like, mm. what is veganism? What is a plant-based diet? Why be vegan? And talking about some of the ethical underpinnings behind that. Mm. So yeah, that is kind of foundational and laid out at the beginning. And I don't touch on it a lot of times again, then we sort of just get into the nitty gritty of the nutrition afterwards. And the book is more nutrition focused after that, but definitely I lay an ethical case and foundation for veganism at the beginning. Although um, I would say it's not an ethical case as in persuading someone to go vegan because the idea of the book is that someone has decided to go vegan and this book is going to be there for them to support that journey safely and healthfully, um, but it uh, does kind of describe um, and just solidify maybe for people so that they understand what going vegan is and that it's not um, just about food. It's not just about diet and uh, getting into that further. I do want to talk about bias though, because you, you uh, brought that up um, and I'm a scientist uh, and a health practitioner and I am vegan. So I am ethically vegan myself. Um, and so absolutely that introduces bias, uh, but we all have bias. Um, every single healthcare practitioner and every single scientist has bias in different ways in our lives. And it's really important for us. Um, anyone needs to always be taking a look at their bias and how it's affecting their worldview, their parenting, their interactions with their partner, all of those things. Um, but as a, a healthcare practitioner, we have an additional duty of care. And as a scientist, we have an additional duty of care to be very careful um, to always try to understand and recognize our bias and how our bias might be affecting the way that we are presenting information to the public or the way that we're working one-on-one -on -one with a client. So I always am very upfront that I am ethically vegan um, but that I work with all types of eaters. So as a healthcare practitioner, it's never my job to tell someone that they have to go vegan, but instead to support them to eat as healthfully as possible for them, which we have so much evidence that um, eating a high plant diet um, is the healthiest way for almost anyone in the population. Uh, lots of fiber, fruits and vegetables, nuts and seeds, um, pulses. We have so much evidence that this is the healthiest way for almost all of us to eat. I mean, I say almost because, of course, you could find some exception to anything. Mm -hmm. But, um, but uh, the thing is that I, I can tell people that from a healthcare pers perspective and tell them to incorporate as many plants into their diet or be as plant-based as as they are willing to do or as they're able to do. But the book is there. And also in my practice, I often work with people who have already made the decision to be vegan. And then that's my job as a healthcare professional to say, okay, great. This is your um, decision, your ethical decision, the way that you want to 
show up in the world is as a vegan. So let's just talk about how you're going to do that safely and um, what are the steps that you need to be taking um, on a daily basis to make sure that you are um, doing that well for your own body and also for your children, um, for anyone that you are providing care and food for. So what about for your own journey, you know, with the science background, with the uh, dietitian background, um, had, you call yourself an ethical vegan. Was it the ethics that kind of led you there? And then you, you know, then you kind of looked at it from a scientific perspective and said, yeah, I can do this. Or was it the other way around? I actually was sort of motivated by the environmental reasons hmm. first. That was probably the reason. The very, the very first thing for me was when I was in university, because I'm pretty old. So like back a long time ago, I read Diet for a Small Planet. Um, when I was in university and became a vegetarian at that time, because I was quite motivated by the concern that there's um, enough food in the world. We're just using our caloric resources badly because we uh, are growing all of these plants. And then we're using so many of those plants to feed to animals um, who are very poor converters of energy into energy and protein for human consumption. We're also filling the world with billions of animals who are um, being used for, um, for producing uh, calories and protein very inefficiently, but they're also producing so many greenhouse gases and so much waste. And um, so that was actually my first motivation for shifting towards plants. Although at that time I only went vegetarian. I think that was like 25 years ago. Veganism wasn't as much of a thing then and I didn't even really conceive of going vegan. But um, I went vegetarian at first and um, and did it for reasons of the environment and also because of world hunger. Um, and then it was, and then I actually kind of lost my way with some of that thinking for a while. I did my PhD in working with severe malnutrition in children in Africa. I went and worked in Malawi for many years and was like, oh, this is more complicated than just like, oh, I'm going to go vegetarian and that's going to solve world hunger. I just felt a little silly. And so then I was like, took a step away from that, actually went back to being an omnivore for a few years, and then reconnected with the idea of plant-based eating and how important that was um, for the environment. Um, and then started looking, hey, like this has tons of health benefits as well for my clients. Um, this is something I was moving into private practice. This is something I can be um, really making a difference, like what are the key diseases that we're facing in North America, diabetes, heart disease, cancer, um, you know, what can I be offering to people that could really help to prevent a lot of uh, those diseases or mitigate the impacts. And I thought plant-based diets are really such a strong offering. Um, and so health was a bit of a motivator, but then um, I started watching some PETA videos and was like, okay, now, I, now I'm like 100% in, whereas before it was like, okay, maybe 90%, 95% is enough because if you're in it for the environment or for, um, for your health, then probably 90 or 95% is enough. But once you make that ethical connection for me, then it just had to be a, a complete decision and then reading and understanding the broader sociocultural impacts of veganism um, as a philosophy of life, not just, not just um, a diet. All right, before we jump into the next question, why don't we pause for a second to thank our sponsor. This episode is brought to you by MyFitnessPal. MyFitnessPal provides powerful tools that make it easier for everyone to live a healthier life by tracking meals and physical activity. If you're interested in learning about your nutrition and fitness habits while learning about new routines to help you get healthier, MyFitnessPal can help. You may think of the app as a way to track calories, but you can also break down ingredients and log activities too. It's fully customizable. Within their app, you can choose the right settings to help you meet and easily stick with your individual goals, such as gearing towards low carb, heart health, macro tracking, intermittent fasting like Doug, and more. 
With the MyFitnessPal Premium Membership, you get custom tools and expert guidance to help you reach your personal health goals your way. For example, the Deeper Nutritional Insights tool helps you discover which foods fuel you best. Plus, you have access to guided daily workouts and a community forum to help each other out. Matt, the I've used MyFitnessPal a number of times. For, you know, We talk a lot about tracking when you're making a big change or something like that to just kind of get a good pulse on, on what you're doing. And, um, and my fitness pal is like, I, I have, I've traditionally just used it for, uh, for tracking food and, you know, looking at macros and things like that. But they have now like released all these new plans and this new, you know, you can kind of, it's your all in one place for, for anything tracking, which is, is really cool. That is cool. I'm a big fan of tracking things, big fan of habit formation. And now, mm-hmm. Newly interested in fitness for the past few months, uh, I'm really pumped to get in there and, and see what I'm actually doing. <laughs> there you go. To get a one-month premium membership for free, go to nomeat.myfitnesspal.com with promo code NOMEAT. That's nomeat.myfitnesspal.com with promo code NOMEAT for a free one-month premium membership. This episode is also brought to you by Manly Bands, who helps men find wedding bands that fit their personality and their budget with unique and stylish designs. You can start the process with Manly Bands by getting their Manly Ring Sizer to ensure that it will fit you perfectly during work and play. Once you know your size, then comes the fun part of from choosing from a wide selection of materials like gold, wood, or steel, and, and certain rocks as well. You can choose from one of the Manly Band's curated collections, like the Adventure Collection. Once you have selected your band, you get free shipping worldwide, a 30-day exchange policy, and a free warranty. Matt, I, uh, I chose a band. Uh, you know, I already have a wedding band. There's no, uh, there's no secret around that. <laughs> I've had a wedding band for a number of years now. Uh, but I chose one that was very different from my from my simple uh, silver band to be a little bit more flashy. It came from the Adventure Collection, and it has, I don't even know how to pr- pronounce that, Koi Wood? K-O-A Wood? How do, you, how do you say that? Never heard of it. Well, no idea. It, it, has, it has some wood in there and some turquoise built into the ring, and it looks really stylish and, uh, and very cool. And, you know, when I want to feel a little bit more flashy, throw that on. Yeah. It looks great. To get 21% off your Manly Band for a limited time, go to manlybands.com slash no meat. Plus, you'll get a free silicone ring. That's manlybands.com slash no meat for 21% off for a limited time. And silicone rings are perfect for athletes. Yes, they are. <laughs> All right. Let's get back to the interview with Pamela. Um, I want to go back, Pamela, to I really like when, when vegans acknowledge when people in general acknowledge their own bias, like you did earlier, I think that's really just very conscious and good. I think it's like, I I definitely find it very easy to criticize people on the internet thinking, well, like, of course they're arguing that way because that's what their blog is about. Like that. So they're only going to be open to the things that are the studies that are, you know, pro their way of thinking. And it's very easy to assume that like, I am outside of this somehow that like everyone, I'm the only one who's immune to the bias. Everyone else is, you know, has it. Um, but a few years ago, I've kind of realized like, of course, like I'm, I'm going to have, th- like, I'm going to be less interested in studies that are saying things that, you know, my whole livelihood is not based on now. Um, so of course it's going to happen. Um, but, and that's, that's kind of related to like, I've heard, I think Simon Hill from plant proof recently, I think I saw a clip of his podcast or something where he was talking about just sort of acknowledging that like, a lot of vegans like go too far in, in trying to sell the health benefits of this diet, uh, or at least I should say to tell the, the, the amount of evidence there is supporting this diet. Um, from your perspective, just because I assume you're kind of tuned into this, like wh- what are the claims that you think are most often made that are, that are just too much that like you can say veganism is good in so many ways, but that this one just to make people are saying that this is true when it's, when it's not really that true yet. Well, I think the main thing that we don't have really the evidence to say is that being 100% vegan is healthier than being 90 or 95% plant-based. I don't think we have evidence to show that in most cases. There may be a few places where that is the case. Um, You know, if you already have coronary artery disease, for example, and your idea of what you're going to do with a plant-based diet is 
very whole food plant-based um, and very conscientious, then yes, maybe um, there may be some added um, benefit, particularly in terms of reducing your cholesterol, for example, of being 100% of the way there. Um, but on a general population level, talking about just optimizing our health and reducing our risk of disease and optimizing athletic performance, that kind of thing, I don't think we have evidence on a health basis alone that that extra five to 10% is really doing anything. And I will say as well that it, that extra five to 10% does open us up as well to some additional health risk. It's, I've heard you say it before, Matt, and it's absolutely true that any dietary pattern that you follow um, does have inherent strengths and weaknesses. And whenever you go deep into a dietary pattern, so as we have done with making a commitment to being vegan, then obviously we like to talk a lot about how if you're eating a vegan diet that is healthy um, and includes you know, nuts and seeds, fruits and vegetables, whole grains, um, and uh, protein foods like um, pulses, if you're doing that and eating, eating well every day, um, then you're probably getting tons of fiber, which is so important. We love to talk about the benefits of fiber. And I mean, you can't oversell them really. They're so great. You're going to be getting all of these like vitamins and minerals and antioxidants and like so many great things. Um, but it does make a few nutrients trickier to get. I mean, it is true, like B12, for example. I mean, I'm the first to say how easy it is to get B12 on a vegan diet, but there just will be inherent strengths and weaknesses, whether you go paleo or vegan or whatever. And again, I don't want to compare veganism and paleo because of course they're not the same thing. Veganism is a philosophy of life. Um, paleo is just a way of eating unless you've moved into a cave, but probably not. Um, but, uh, they're not the same thing, but there will be by going that extra five to 10% and hundred percent of the time avoiding animal products. There are some nutrients that animal products are rich in that will be, that we will have to just be a little more intentional about, um, as plant eaters to make sure that we get so I would say it's um, cavalier and even potentially dangerous to just say, well, obviously going 100% um, plant-based or following a completely vegan diet is, um, is going to be the best, um, easiest way for everyone to be their healthiest. I agree absolutely that... Um, eating a well-planned, that's the way that it's written in the um, American Academy of Dietetics, that's the way their position paper states it, that a well-planned vegan diet is um, appropriate for every stage of life. And I absolutely stand by that. Um, that's not to say that veganism is special in that way. No matter how you eat, you have to plan your diet well um, in order to thrive and make sure you're meeting all your nutrient needs. But whenever we specialize and narrow in, in terms of a diet, we will lean in more to the advantages that it offers, but also we will expose ourselves somewhat to weaknesses. Those weaknesses can easily be um, compensated for with the way that we eat. And it's not all that complicated, but we do have to pay some attention to it. That's why, you know, that's a lot of what I offer on my Instagram account. That's a lot of what I try to offer in my personal counseling. That's what's in the book, that's kind of what a uh, role that I see for myself as a dietitian. Like this isn't hard, but there are just a few things that you need to take into account um, for yourself, for your kids, that kind of thing when going vegan. Cool, I love that. Um, as I as I sort of implied, I think I think it is so much better for our movement when people argue at it, argue it for it from that angle, saying like, yes, there are weaknesses, there are things you know that we need to. It's not, it's not that it's just the perfect diet that, you know, makes everything simple. Um, I don't know. I, I just think it's so much better than, than making wild claims. So uh, I appreciate that. Um, let's see. I wanted to ask you about protein. I mean, I think you mentioned it right there. 
everyone always talks about protein. I get annoyed, not annoyed, but just, you know, we answer the protein question so many times that it just becomes this thing that we don't want to talk about. Um, I really like the way you handled this book though, because you, you didn't write it off as like a non-issue and you don't make it a non-issue. Like you just mentioned it. Like you talked about that as one of the criteria of planning your diet well is getting protein from good sources. Um, it's not, it's not the case that, you know, we can just totally ignore protein. Uh, and I've realized this more like for a while, I was kind of of the thinking that like, you absolutely can meet all your protein needs on a plant-based diet without thinking about it. And you don't have to, and perhaps you shouldn't even think about it. Uh, I don't quite think that way anymore. I think, I think day to day, I still do think that way because I have sort of built in a lot of choices that I sort of make by default because I, I know things. Um, but I don't think a typical person should just ignore protein. Uh, and it's because of issues that you bring up. Lysine and leucine are, are really good um, points. And I'd like you to talk somewhat about those because people seem to find that topic uh, really interesting. And you have actually Stephanie, uh, who I don't, her relationship to you is she's your assistant. Is that right? Or was? She, she was an intern with me. Uh, she's got her own practice now. She's finished her internship. So we're still okay. in touch, but she's not, she doesn't work with me anymore, but she did some great work for me. And she's, she's a really high caliber athlete. Um, she herself is not um, completely plant-based, although she did go completely plant-based when working with me for a while, which was very sweet. Um, okay. so uh, but she, Stephanie McNeil. Yeah. Sorry, if anyone was- Stephanie you know, and, McNeil, and it's, and it's exactly. Protein and the Vegan Athlete is the article on, uh, on No Meat Athlete, yes. where she talks about lysine. And then second to that, which I don't think you mentioned, but that you mentioned in this book, and I think it's great, is the, uh, the protein digestibility score issues. Like this is, this is really interesting because I think people think that, you know, they get- so much protein from seitan, which so many people do. Um, and it seems like a great vegan protein source, but as you said, the, the digestibility score is ratio is like 0.42 or something. Um, meaning that, that a gram of that protein only, you know, 42% of it is actually usable by your body compared to soy, which is often thought of as like the bad protein we need to stay away from that has the best one of all the plant sources, I believe, uh, at point yes. nine. So can you go into those two issues, lysine and that, because uh, I think it's great practical advice. Well, I think this is um, a really important reason to not avoid soy. And this is uh, one that we don't talk about enough. And I think I'm going to, I've, I've talked about soy quite a bit on my um, Instagram account. And I think I need to circle back and talk about uh, the completeness and digestibility of soy, the bioavailability um, and completeness, because um, yes, all plants do contain uh, the essential amino acids, but in some cases, those um, essential amino acids may be in such low quantities, such small proportions in the um, food that they're not really going to help us meet our needs for building muscle and tissue. So um, the thing is each uh, of us need to eat all of the um, essential amino acids. I'm blanking it right now. I think there's nine. I should know that. But anyway, um, <laughs> so we need to uh, eat all of those essential amino acids um, from food because we can't synthesize them ourselves. That's why things get called essential in nutrition when we can't synthesize them in our own bodies. It's essential for us to acquire them through food. And so there was a long time um, where in plant-based nutrition, we used to think we had to combine um, you know, brown rice and uh, black beans, for example, together in order to meet all of your um, your protein needs. We've moved away from that now, um, and we know that actually it's not necessarily necessary to combine in a specific meal. Um, as long as across the day, across every couple of days, you're eating a range of protein sources, then you will be getting a range of those amino acids that will combine in your body. But there are a couple on a plant-based diet that are kind of what you would call limiting amino acids. Lysine and leucine um, are the ones uh, that we talk about. And um, again, you don't have to really get this granular with it. Like, please don't like start, you know, trying to look up on chronometer how much lysine is in all the different foods that you're eating. And I mean, you could do that once and like inform yourself if you're quite interested. 
But really, the main message is eat a variety of plant-based protein sources and don't avoid soy unless you're intolerant to soy or allergic to soy then fine, of course, then you're going to avoid it. And it's fine, you can avoid soy and still get all of your protein needs met um, on a plant-based diet. You will have to be more intentional about it, but um, it is important to make sure that you're getting all of those essential amino acids. And so eating a variety of sources, um, including soy in like tofu, tempeh, edamame, um, soy milk, um, in order to help you get that really high quality protein that offers, um, you know, all of the amino acids that you need. And the digestibility and quality of soy is comparable to the protein in, I think egg whites is considered like the reference protein. Um, and I think soy and egg whites are very similar. Like I, I think if, if it's, if egg whites is one, the reference protein, then soy is 0.9 like it's just about there um so i think do include include soy but also include you know quinoa and pulses um nuts and seeds i do once in a while run it across someone who for example wants to mostly just eat um fruits and nuts and seeds and be raw um this is a situation where you are that is like taking veganism and then going another step in, into further restriction. And there you are going to run into a potential problem with um, lysine and leucine because nuts are not a particularly great source of those amino acids. And so um, although they are very rich in nutrition, um, nuts are wonderful and fruit is wonderful, but um, the more you can include on a daily basis a broad range of protein sources and that's true in general the probably if i could give like two pieces of advice about nutrition it would be number one always make sure you meet your fiber requirements every day this is true no matter how you eat if you meet your fiber requirements you will be eating a high plant diet because fiber only comes from plants by meeting your fiber requirements um, on a varied diet, you will be just hitting so many different nutrients and you will be helping to prevent so many different diseases. So that's number one. And then the second one would be variety. So variety is so important. And I think we've been getting that message uh, this year from, oh, what's Dr. B's book called? I forget. Anyway, thank you. Fiber fueled. Yes. But he's got this beautiful message about variety, talking about eating, I think it's at least 30 different plants every week. Um, and that they've found that, um, that when you do that, you're going to cover the range of nutrients that you need. So it's a message for protein. Don't get your protein from only one source. Don't only rely on seitan, let's say. Get it from a broad range of sources. Include soy if you can, because it's such high quality but also remember that that's a message for everything in nutrition, that every plant that you eat has a unique nutritional profile and it's going to give you, like, it's not like all fruit is the same in terms of which nutrients um, it's particularly rich in. And so one fruit is not necessarily interchangeable for another and eating a variety, like um, if you just eat oranges every day, then you're going to be getting lots of, you know, vitamin C or whatever, but you're going to miss out on some other nutrients. So get a variety of um, foods from across the different food groups. And then within each food group, build for variety into your diet, not just relying on those like three vegetables that you and your kids like or whatever, try to build more variety in um, and go for including those high quality foods like soy, like leafy greens, like berries that really hit a lot of bases. Cool. And so just to, just to summarize the, the protein thing for people, um, you, you also go, because of the digestibility of plant protein, that all of it is slightly lower than the reference protein. Um, you know, when, when it's suggested that, that adults get 0.8 grams of protein per kilo, um, you say on a plant-based diet, it's actually closer to one gram per, per kilo because you need to make that adjustment because of the digestibility. Um, and then you also suggest that, that athlete, not you suggest, but you, you talk about research that, that, uh, athletes need another 10 to 20% beyond that. 
um, or perhaps even more. Uh, but you know, as, as much as you do focus on protein as an important thing in the end, the number is not huge. Like, like, a you have a chart in here, the body weight, if you weigh 140 pounds, then your recommended daily intake of grams is 64 grams of protein. Uh, and will be somewhat more if you're an athlete, but like still not some huge amount. Like it's something that is to, there to be mindful about. You should think about it, but, um, it's not to say at all that, that protein is some, some, you know, impossible, uh, standard you need to, you need to have. Absolutely. I mean, it's very interesting to look at a chart of different foods and what percentage of their calories are made up of protein. And you'll find that um, most plants are going to actually, just by eating enough calories, you will actually be eating enough um, protein just by the protein that you're gonna get from most plants. Now, there are some foods that are going to fall just a little bit below that ratio, like fruits, for example, are probably not going to quite hit your protein target. So then when you're including more fruits, that means you also need to include some more protein-rich foods like nuts and seeds, whole grains, um, you know, pulses are our best option, soy, another great option, um, in order to balance that out. So just um, remembering that uh, it doesn't have to be difficult, but that if you are an athlete, then just on a practical basis, at least two of your meals, at least, should um, include a decent uh, visible protein source, um, and ideally three of, of your meals. Should what do you mean be by a visible protein source? Beans? So like beans, uh, lentils, uh, tofu, tempeh, um, should be right there on your plate where you can see it, you know? Um, it can be mixed into the sauce. Like it doesn't have to have a, a separate portion of your plate. But you know, the vegan plate model developed by uh, Ginny Messina, um, and there's also a very similar one developed by uh, Brenda Davis, another dietitian. Um, you'll see that half of the plate is um, fruits and vegetables. That's a good recommendation. No matter how you eat, half of your diet should be fruits and veg. Um, then around a quarter of the plate from um, grains and starches. So that could be like potatoes or sweet potatoes or um, pasta or quinoa. Um, and then the other uh, quarter of the plate coming from protein sources with some fat sources added in there. So just like as like a bonus. So, you know, some avocado or some nuts and seeds um, added in either as a sauce or a sprinkle on top. So that's kind of how to conceptualize your plate. And you should, some people don't incorporate a lot of protein in their breakfast, let's say. Um, so uh, you know, you may not, when you look down at breakfast, you may not see protein there, but then definitely your lunch and your dinner should have like visible protein. And if you're an athlete, then um, looking to try to get some in your breakfast as well. Oats actually, as a whole grain, do offer a pretty good amount of protein, but just stir in some peanut butter or almond butter or something like that into the um, into the bowl in order to up the protein. Um, and if you are um, quite intense in your training. And that's a shift that um, we've had, I think, in the last five years or so around um, sports nutrition is that we've understood that we used to sort of say endurance athletes need this and resistance training athletes need that. But actually now we're seeing more, it's more about the intensity of your training rather than the actual sport. So when you're in particularly intense periods of your training, like if you're marathon training, for example, and you're in a really high mileage period of your training cycle, then maybe add in um, like a protein shake at breakfast as well. You don't have to, if you're a person who only likes to have whole foods, you don't have to. Um, you could make a, a smoothie and just add in lots of like flax seeds and um, hemp hearts and uh, other whole food sources of protein to increase the protein source, maybe make the smoothie with soy milk. Um, but yes, you should be intentional. Um, if you're pregnant, if you're an older adult, if you're um, an athlete, these are people who have slightly higher protein needs than the average more sedentary person. And so um, all of us need, need protein and need it every day. But uh, if you fall into one of those categories, and I think 
pretty much everyone listening to this podcast uh, is an athlete, uh, you know, um, and is intentional around their training and their nutrition, then be intentional around your protein as well. Make sure that you're including it at least twice a day, maybe three times a day in, a, in your snacks and meals. I've never heard the term visible protein before, but I, I, I kind of <laughs> like that. I think that that's easy for people to understand because, you know, if, especially if you're coming from a traditional diet, uh, you know, where it, protein is, uh, is typically very visible. Um, and overt. The, the fruitarians say overt fats is their term for... Uh, right. Oh, uh, yeah. Not just latent fats in the, in the fruits or whatever. Right. But, I like yeah. that. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> Do you, other than protein, you know, when you're working with clients or when you're outlining this book... Um, you know, are there other like major concerns that you see time and time again that are maybe somewhat misunderstood by, by people coming to the plant-based diet or vegan diet? Um, well, I probably see that some people become very, very afraid of any kind of like fortification or um, any kind of processed food, you know, the word processed becomes amplified. Um, and it obviously it is possible to eat very healthfully eating um, only whole foods. I'm, I'm not uh, saying anything bad about that approach and wonderful if you're listening and that's how you eat. That's great. Um, but I do think for a lot of us, um, fortification can be um, a nice and easy way to meet some of our nutrient requirements. So I'm not anti-fortification, uh, you know, for example, calcium. Um, I know it's a little more variable, but in the US, but in Canada, our plant-based milks generally all have around 30% of your calcium requirements in one glass of uh, plant-based milk. Make sure to shake those cartons before you pour because the calcium settles. Um, but of course, you can, calcium is widely distributed across um, a plant-based diet, and you can meet your calcium requirements without um, having fortified um, uh, plant-based milks, but you'll have to be a little more intentional about it. I love um, giving my kids or having myself just one glass of fortified plant-based milk in a day. I know then I've met a third of my requirements, and I feel good that I'm going to meet the other two-thirds through my diet just in general. Um, so I like including some fortifications and depending where my clients are at, um, I like encouraging them to do so as well. So that's one thing I sometimes see in it. I think it sometimes happens for people who are very new to plant-based eating. Maybe they've had a health scare, um, or maybe they're just, um, really concerned about health and they, they really want to eat, um, whole foods and get the benefits of whole foods. And that's wonderful. But I don't think we need to completely avoid like um, iodized salt, for example. You can now increasingly find Himalayan salt or sea salt that's iodized. That's just such an easy way to meet your iodine requirements. You know, you can eat seaweed. That's great. Um, but in North America, not a lot of us on a population level regularly eat seaweed to meet our iodine requirements that way. So it's just like so easy to just include some iodized salt in your cooking and then it's looked after. So yes, you can be intentional and do without fortifications, but I think it's nice to um, have them as an option just to make things a bit easier. I'd say the same thing for convenience um, foods like, you know, Gardein, Eve's, Beyond, whatever, those kinds of foods. Absolutely, you don't have to eat those foods. Um, and their health properties are more dubious. Um, so, uh, but they are very convenient. They do tend to be very high in protein and they're often fortified as well with nutrients that can be a bit trickier to get on a plant-based diet like iron, like B12, zinc. So um, I would say you don't have to include those, but if you are going into a plant-based diet and thinking you have to avoid those in order to be healthy, I don't think we have any evidence that that's the case. And in fact, there is some evidence of um, health benefits of eating those foods, although that um, research has been paid for by the industry that makes those products. So we have to be a little cautious around that. But I think um, if it's something like once a week, 
Um, you know, it's an easy night for you to just prepare um, a meat alternative product for your family. Um, then I think that's wonderful and so easy. And what I would say is that the way that I use those foods, because I do use those foods with my family, is I try to incorporate those into um, a plate that includes a lot of whole plant foods. And that's just the protein source that I use that day. So I might be um, using like those chicken strips or something, but put it into um, like a burrito or something that has lots of um, plants. Um, another day I would make the same burrito using black beans or something, but it's like once in a while, it's convenient and easy and kind of fun for my family, for my kids. They sure. like eating those foods um, and it makes um, things just maybe a little bit easier as a family. And so that's great. So I would say, just be careful that you don't tread close to what's called orthorexia or an unhealthy obsession with the health qualities of foods um, to the point that you're so like afraid of, because I have actually met people who are really afraid of eating anything that has fat or anything that has even any kind of processing to the point that they won't eat tofu because it's processed. Um, so I think just be cautious around thinking that food is like morally pure in terms of its health properties. Um, health properties of food is not a moral issue. And if you eat only whole food plant-based, that is not morally better than someone who eats, um, a lot of whole foods, like 80% of the time and 20% of the time incorporates some vegan um, brownies or, uh, you know, Beyond Burgers. Um, so there's a moral issue when it comes to consumption of animal products or not. That is an ethical and moral issue. But if um, you're eating vegan, whether you eat 80% healthy or 100% healthy, um, it's, that's not morally better. And also, I would even argue that nutritionally, it's not as clear cut as you think. Eating completely whole foods does mean you have to be quite careful about things like iodine, for example, or calcium. You can do it, but it's um, easier to do with a few fortified products. Very good. I'm glad you brought up the, uh, the meat alternatives. That was on my list to ask you about. Uh... Because, you know, you talked about some of the benefits of them. And look, you, with lysine, like we talked about, that they're relatively high in that, and then protein in general. Um, but I really like the approach that you just said of, of kind of using those things, not as like you eat a Beyond sausage on a hot dog bun, but but right. you, like what we do is we use that in like a pasta sauce, and then we have all different right. kinds of vegetables and things. Uh, and it definitely makes things, you know, for, more than convenience for me, it's just, it, it makes food more interesting. We can do yes. interesting things that we kind of couldn't do otherwise without them. Uh, so I, exactly. I really like or I'll do a lentil stew and my children love lentil stew. Actually, it's one of their favorites, but sometimes I'll take one or two um, field roast sausages. Nothing special about particular field roast, could be tofurkey, whatever, but um, uh, take one or two of those sausages and I'll cut them into the um, lentil stew. So it's now lentil with sausage mm -hmm. stew. It ups the protein a little bit, does make it a little bit more interesting, but there I'm making a pot and it will probably contain at least six servings, maybe even more because I may like save some for leftovers. And so in that um, six to eight servings, we're having one to two sausages. So um, it's, uh, you know, giving us more interest and more nutrition with a very minimal um, impact in terms of extra like saturated fat or sodium. Cool. Wonderful. Which we can't say that about the, the beyond sausages. They certainly do give us an impact in terms of uh, <laughs> saturated fat, I believe. <laughs> yeah. We don't have as many products like that in Canada. We're still a little bit safer, although they are coming more and more. I say safer because I do have to say, I am a little bit concerned. Like I love that we have all these products, but I am a little bit concerned that some of, the health benefits of being vegan. Like when we do these population level sur surveys and we see that vegans tend to have certain um, things. We do tend to have lower incidence of diabetes, heart disease. We tend to um, maybe live a bit longer, that kind of thing. Will some of those things start to erode? Maybe. 
um, I am a little bit concerned about that happening. For the animals, it's only a benefit, but um, I am a little bit concerned that, you know, 10, 15, certainly 20 years ago, being vegan meant almost certainly you were eating pretty healthfully. Um, now, it doesn't necessarily mean that. Yeah. Right, right. And then even the animals then will will suffer, right? Because if all these people see that the vegan diet isn't as healthy as they thought, then that's then right. less people are vegan. So yeah, I have the same concerns um, while also recognizing what a, what a, luxury they are to have and convenience and all these other things so who knows only time will tell what yes. happens with that um all right one more, right one more one more before we let you go Pamela I got to know about uh I'm, I'm calling it the wrong name is it speed walking or ultra endurance walking what is it that you yeah. were doing in our first episode you talked about Oh, I've been like pretty lazy actually about that lately. However, I, I am going to be doing a half marathon in January. So I do, I was actually just before this call, I was looking at training plans. So I am going to have to get back out there. Running or walking the half marathon? I think I'm going to walk it. I think so. Okay. I, I, I would love to run it, but every time um, that I've tried running lately, I end up aggravating injuries. So I think walking is just going to be more realistic an approach for me. So I think I will be speed walking it. I love speed walking too. It's great. So and I think I will be doing that in January in the Bahamas, which wow. is going to be really nice. That's yes. Fun. Yeah. So for people who have not heard that episode, Pamela does uh, speed walking, right? But you yeah. do it over like you do ultra distances, right? Yes, I have done ultra distances. I don't want to oversell what I've been doing lately because I have not been doing ultra distance. Actually, I did a, I did a marathon, it's not ultra, but I did a marathon, um, a walking marathon last January. Um, just my own, just did my own thing. Um, but uh, it wasn't an official race, but I am going to be doing a half marathon this coming January. I have not done an ultra distance race in a long time. When you, when you do speed walking, or when someone competitively does speed walking, you're not allowed to run, right? You, you, Correct. Like there are certain rules, like your feet can't both be off the ground or something at the same time. Um, Correct. Yes. That's, so what kind, that's of, the what kind of times, what, like how, how long does it take you or someone really fast, if you're not, I don't know if you are or not, um, to finish say a marathon with, with speed walking? I think I, oh, I'm just, let me think just for a second about <laughs> what my time was, because I did, I think it was like five and a half hours maybe I did okay. um, uh -huh. as one of my faster marathons. I can't remember the time exactly, but I do remember I actually ended up winning the walking category of that marathon. Um, and yeah. initially I didn't win, but someone got disqualified because uh, they saw video evidence that they were running <laughs> yeah. some of that. Oh, no. Because if you enter in the walking category, you cannot run any portion of the event. Um, wow. And I think a lot of people don't understand that. And they, I don't, I think a lot of it's not malicious. I don't think they're trying to cheat. They're just thinking, oh, I'm, I'm a walker because they think I can't run the whole way. And then they end up doing some combination of right. running and walking. Right. Um, but actually to be officially entered as a walker, you um, have to uh, walk the entire distance, no running. Do a lot of marathons do that? Do they have the two categories? Or is that kind of, are they just select I think so. I think okay. it's pretty common. I've, I've never had a problem entering as a walker um, in any formal race that I've done. I, I don't know about like trail ultras, that kind of thing, whether <laughs> sure. walking is yeah. really uh, officially a thing, although we They're all know all that a lot of people end yeah, up yeah. walking. <laughs> I, it, uh, does, does anyone do that as their like hundred mile strategy? Like just walk the whole time? Cause I mean, my hundred mile pace was like 18 minutes per mile. I think it's like, yeah, you probably walk faster than that. Right. Exactly. And that's something that I, um, realized, uh, in terms of, and I have done, um, trail ultras or ultras, uh, using walking. And if you can just be really consistent from the beginning, um, I actually think it's not a bad approach, um, because you are going to, um, be conserving uh, some of your energy. And if you can just maintain a consistent pace rather than starting stronger or, you know, like how people tend to like walk uphill, run downhill, that kind of thing. If you just stay consistent with your walking pace, I would argue that you probably would um, probably finish just as quickly or a lot of people would finish just as quickly. Hmm. All right. That was going to put it to the test. I'm going to put it, yeah, that's right. <laughs> 
<laughs> I know I Doug's got... really fast. No, no, no. <laughs> no. I mean, it sounds like a good approach, especially for the like really longer stuff. That's right. Um, or yeah, that's right. If you're injury prone or any mm-hmm. of that, then I think it could be, um, it could be something to consider. Give it a try. Yeah. All right. For those who don't know, uh, your first appearance on Nomad Athlete Radio, we talked a lot about that. We talked about, I think, raising kids in that same episode, because as you said, you have four of them. Um, then you came back for an intermittent fasting episode. Is that right? I think. Not just a blog post, but I think you did a podcast episode. Yeah, I did. Yep. And any more? Am I, am I forgetting any appearances, or is this your third appearance? Uh, no, we did one, well, about the microbiome. Doug and I did yeah. one ah, not right. that long ago, okay. like mm-hmm. maybe... I don't know, six months ago or something, a year ago. I don't really remember. Yes, I had a feeling you'd been on one more time. Okay. Yep. Cool. So oh, anyway, Pamela, I, you, you know, you were a big part of uh, my intermittent fasting story, um, <laughs> both from that first episode, and then also you did a challenge with, uh, with the academy. Yes. And um, uh, big news, it's like a thing now. I've passed like <laughs> three or four weeks. Yeah. <laughs> and it just kind of happened. It just happened. So I appreciate all your uh, support. When it oh, didn't good. happen, when, it didn't, <laughs> when I couldn't get it to stick. Well, that's great. I'm glad, you know, it's not for everyone, but for the people that it works for, I do think it is a really successful approach. I still use intermittent fasting really regularly in my life. I'm not trying to lose weight or anything, but it's just an approach that I follow in terms of maintaining weight. And also just, I think it's an anti-inflammatory way of eating. And I just like eating that way. Um, so Yes. It's not for everyone. I just want to be cautious about that. There are people, if you're pregnant, breastfeeding, if you um, have a history of eating disorders, um, it's not a path for you. But um, if, it, if none of those things apply to you and it's something that you're interested in, then maybe check out that intermittent fasting episode. I think there can be a lot of benefits. Definitely. Great. So check those out. Pamela Ferguson, uh, the new book is Going Vegan for Beginners. Pamela, where can people pick up the book and everyone should, by the way, like I said, it is not just for beginners. It's a really great reference. Um, I'm going to try to get myself a physical copy as well um, because it's just really good and it's good to have. Yeah. So where can um, people get uh, I know it's on Amazon um, in candidates on chapters, Indigo as well. You guys have that you have Indigo? Indiegogo. Indiegogo. <laughs> and I, I think actually a lot of like even independent booksellers have it. I, I have a friend here um, in Canada who was able to buy it through their um, local independent uh, bookseller. They were able to get to order it in for them. So if you prefer to buy from your local shop, then I think they can get it for you as well. Awesome. It is not Indiegogo. It is actually Indigo and it's a Canadian bookstore. I have never heard of that. Okay. But there's Sorry. Indie Bound. <laughs> Indie Bound is a U.S indie kind of network that's good who knows if they have, <laughs> wow so there's like actually something in canada that we have that you guys don't have um, <laughs> and tim hortons right oh yeah that's that. right we definitely have that that's true <laughs> <laughs> something right. to be proud of all right hey. so um i have to go and get my children ready for school okay and what's your all website right. pamela where people go to find all yes. your stuff PamelaFerguson.com with two S's. And uh, you can find me on Instagram. That's uh, a really good place to keep in touch with me. I'm pretty much posting daily. Um, and it's drpamela.rd. And I love to hear from people. I answer all my DMs and comments and things. So reach out if you've got a specific question. I've got tons of information saved in highlights. If you're interested um, in like information about going vegan or vegan kids or vegan um, athletes, just check out my Instagram. There's tons of info there. All right. Awesome. Thank Thank you so much. It was great to to talk to you. Yes. (laughs) Thanks so much. Really appreciate your work. Thank you. See you. All right. Bye. Thanks, guys. Bye. Bye.